If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and pick up and find Daniel chapter 2. Back in your Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2. And just hold your place there for a moment. Daniel chapter 2. Hold your place there for just a moment. You know, when we uh, dedicate these children to the Lord and we pray for the families and the children, uh, we also have the realization right in front of us that as these children grow, Things change. I mean, look at the world around us right now. Uh, look at the crises in our culture. We, we actually have no idea what the world's going to be like, what the community's going to be like, what the economy's going to be like when these children are teenagers and when these children are young adults. Uh, things change. And sometimes that's disconcerting for us because we would like the world to be perfect for our children and our grandchildren, but it's just not going to be that way. The world changes. The good news is God never does. God is always the same, and we can always rely on him and trust him. Sometimes we forget that one of the worst periods in history to bring a child into the world was the first century when Jesus was born. It's hard to fathom that because we look at our world and the way things are happening right now, and and it looks pretty bad sometimes, but God chose the perfect time to send his son into the world that time under the Roman Empire, and Jesus Christ was exactly who God wanted him to be, and the Bible says he came at exactly the right time. God is always in control, and God never changes. I want you to remember this phrase with me through the morning. I want you to to remember this. In times of uncertainty, trust God's sovereignty. In times of uncertainty, trust God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty refers to the fact That God is the king of all creation. He is the one true king. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he is always the king. He is always sovereign. He is always our ruler. So in times of uncertainty, we can trust God's sovereignty. Always trust God's sovereignty. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. As we return to the book of Daniel, uh, we're going to be reminded from just a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that one of the themes of the book of Daniel is no compromise. The very practical theme from the perspective of Daniel and his friends is that when faced with a hostile culture that presses them to compromise their faith, they stand firm for Christ. They stand firm for their God, no compromise. Another theme that we'll see unfold throughout the book of Daniel, starting this morning, is God's sovereignty. You'll remember that the king at the time is King Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon is the most powerful empire in the world at the time, and Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful emperor, the most powerful king at the time. But even he pales in comparison to who God is. The sovereignty of God overshadows the events of this book. And we learn more and more how much Daniel and his friends trust in their sovereign God, the God who is in control. Even when the world seems to be falling apart, even when you feel like you're in the worst situation you could possibly be in, God is in control. God is always in charge, and God is always king of his creation. As a reminder, Daniel and his friends ended up in Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar came down, he swept into Palestine, he conquered the Egyptians, he he beat the Egyptians in war, he beat the Assyrians at war, he became the greatest empire, he swept down into Palestine, Uh, he laid siege to Jerusalem, he took command of all of that region, and he took back into exile thousands of Judeans 
they were basically spoils of war. And that included Daniel and his three friends. And when they arrive in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar tells his officials to pick out of the Judeans some young men uh, who can learn the, the, the Babylonian language called Chaldean. They can learn the Babylonian language. They, are, uh, they can be taught the culture. They can be saturated in the history and the culture of Babylon. And they will be learning from the Babylonians for three years so they can serve in the king's court. And Daniel and his three friends are picked out of the crowd to be trained to serve in the king's court. They meet all of the criteria for serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. Last we left Daniel, he was under training in that three-year period to serve in the king's court. Now as an aside, also remember that when Daniel and his friends were taken into exile out of Judea, they would have been teenagers, 13, maybe 14 years old. A lot of times when we think of Daniel, we, we remember the pictures of, of bearded Daniel. He's old and he's, he's seasoned and, and uh, he's, he's, uh, he looks like, uh, well, he's an old man. But we also have to remember that the book of Daniel actually covers about 66 years. It's a compressed version of specific events. And when we first meet Daniel and he's first arrived in Babylon, He's just a teenager, a middle schooler in our culture. And he still is as we open Daniel chapter 2. Now, Daniel chapter 2, we're going to read the events that lead up to some of the prophecies of Daniel. And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, you know that Daniel's very uh, well known for prophecies. But in our focus in this series, we're more concerned with the practical position of Daniel and his friends. We're concerned with how to live in a hostile culture. So we're not really touching any of those prophecies. We're more looking into who Daniel is and how he stands firm for his faith in this culture. Because the culture of Babylon, honestly, is much like our culture today, hostile to people of faith and growing more hostile all the time. And it's a world that's full of crises all around us and personal crises as well. And what we're going to see from Daniel this morning is that you can actually stay calm in the face of crisis in your life and stay calm in the face of crisis in this world, just as he does in this story. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read a, a, a solid block of scripture this morning, several verses in this story. I want to go ahead and tell you that. Uh, I want to tell you also that uh, as soon as we get into it, we have a parenthetical statement in which we're told that uh, the, uh, the Aramaic comes in to the story. It's, so, it's just a sudden parenthetical statement. Aramaic begins here. We'll read in just a minute. Now, what that means is the book of Daniel was actually written in two languages of the ancient Jews. One was Hebrew and one is Aramaic. So the writer is helpful to let the reader of original languages not to be confused. Thankful for us, it's in English. So we don't have to worry about the Aramaic side. I'm just letting you know why that statement is there. So pick up in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Again, we're going to read a large block of scripture. So wake up, straighten up, buckle up, and tighten up with me, and let's read this together. The Bible says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. Now those are the officials of his court, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and I'm anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. Aramaic begins here. And may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. 
The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, both, now notice this, both the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, and great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. Now, let's pause here. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar is asking. The great king, Nebuchadnezzar, not only wants to know the interpretation of the dream, he wants them to tell him the dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knows that his advisors and officials will sometimes just tell him what he wants to know. So he knows if he tells them the dream... Whatever interpretation makes him feel good is what they're going to tell him. So he raises the bar. He says, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. If you are actually spiritists, magicians, Chaldean officials, my advisors, you should be able to tell me the dream that I had. Of course, that's an impossible task. Look at verse 7. They answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants. Now they're hoping against hope that they misunderstood him. And we'll make known the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you're trying to gain some time. (laughs) You're just buying time. Because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there is one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him. Now, pay attention to this. Except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Now, because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Now, remember, Daniel and his friends have just been enlisted into the court of the king. They're just now being called wise men, and, and they're teenagers. They're barely there. But, but, but they are in the collective group called the wise men. Verse 14, then Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had come to arrest him and kill him. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and he asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. And Daniel went to his house. He told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night And Daniel praised the God of the heavens and declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we ask of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. Now, we're going to jump down to verse 27. In the intervening verses, Daniel returns to the king, and he tells the king that he does have an answer. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he has asked about. Didn't didn't the other advisors just say that? 
And, and a death sentence was passed down as, as soon as they did. But look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. This is a story of two very different men confronting a very similar crisis. The first is King Nebuchadnezzar, who is only two years into his monarchy. He can't sleep at night. He's having dreams he doesn't understand. He's stressed out and he's burdened because he does not know what's coming in his kingdom. He lives in an age when dreams should be interpreted because they, they mean something powerful to the king. And if the king doesn't understand them and can't interpret them, he might lead his country in the wrong direction. He might not know that his nation is in jeopardy. He might not send his armies out to battle or prepare them. He needs to know the meaning of the dream. He's, he is stressed out, upset, worried, frustrated. And notice his response to this frustration. He starts making selfish demands, impossible demands. He becomes a cruel dictator quickly and his threats are not idle threats. His threat is that if they do not tell him not only his dream, but the interpretation of the dream, he will have them torn apart, not just quietly executed, but torn apart, and he will have their homes bulldozed and turned into trash heaps. He's done it before, and they know it. History records it. His response to uncertainty is fear. All of this is the outlet of fear. This anger, this obsession, this cruelty is all because he is afraid of what he does not know and the uncertainty of the future. Then we have Daniel. Arioch shows up to arrest Daniel and his friends because now they're classed among the wise men and a, and, and a uh, dictate has been put out that all the, the king's advisors would be killed. In a horrible way. And Arioch shows up. Daniel's heard about the decree. But he has a question. Why is the decree so harsh? What's the problem here? He doesn't know why the decree's gone out or why it's so harsh. He just knows there's a decree that all of them are going to die. And did you notice the Bible says that when Arioch showed up, Daniel approached him with tact and discernment. Those two words put together mean something like quiet judgment or wise judgment. He was completely in control of his faculties. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't running for cover. He just asked a question. Can you clarify this for me? Notice the difference between their responses to uncertainty and crisis. Because certainly Daniel's situation is a time of crisis. For all he knows, he's about to be pulled apart and executed in the worst way. But he doesn't respond with fear. He doesn't respond with panic. He and his friends don't hide. He meets the official coming to him and says, explain this to me a little bit more. Why does he do that? He's calm in the face of a crisis because he trusts God. And he trusts God's sovereignty, which is shown to us as the story goes along. Now, there's your starting point. See, believers in Christ... There should be a difference in the way we face uncertainty and crisis if we're followers of Christ. There should be a way we, we face the crises in our world, and certainly these are frightening and uncertain times, but the way you face them, well, let me ask you a question. What's the difference? If you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, what is the difference in the way you face 
crises. And what about in your own life? Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe the gas pumps, uh, the gas prices have gone up enough that now you're trying to decide if you're going to buy gas or buy food. Maybe you're canceling vacations. Maybe you're worried about the war in Eastern Europe. You're worried about the influx at, at, at the southern border. You're, there's a lot to worry about. The thing is, there will always be a lot to worry about, right? But God is always the same. How does your response to your crises, to your predicaments, to your problems, to the chaos in the world, how does your response reflect the fact that you believe in Christ? What difference does it make between you and the person who does not know Christ? We want to zero in on this one thing this morning, how to be calm in the face of a crisis. Because Daniel helps us with that. He faces it calmly, tactfully, with discernment, wisdom, judgment. How to be calm in the face of a crisis. Maybe you're facing a personal crisis right now, and you find yourself deep inside with, with a sense of panic and frustration. Maybe you look out on the world, and you're worried, and you're afraid. How can you face this with calm assurance that God is in charge? Now, remember our big picture, truth. Remember, in times of uncertainty, Trust God's sovereignty. Let's unpack that a little bit. How to face crises and be calm and stay calm in that midst of the crisis. First of all, remember God's sovereignty. That's that one thing that overrides and overshadows everything else we're talking about this morning. Remember God's sovereignty. See, our problem is when things are going well, we praise God and we, we, we say God is in control. And, and when I said that at the first of this message, many of you said, that's right, God is in control. But do we remember that God is in charge, that God is in control, that God is king of the universe? Do we remember that when things go south in our lives and in our world? Because our, our reaction is typically to say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. If God is really in control, this wouldn't be happening to me. This wouldn't be happening in our world. Or maybe God's not in control, or maybe God's angry at me, I don't know. But the Bible teaches consistently that we don't take our cues from what's happening in the world. We don't take our cues about God from crises in our lives. We take our cues about God from the Word of God, and the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. Remember God's sovereignty. As we zero in on Daniel's story, we see, we, we see in his declaration of praise, as soon as God revealed to him and his friends the mystery, what the king wanted to know, he praised God and he declared the greatness of God. And the first thing he declared was the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God changes the seasons, he says. God removes kings and God establishes kings. Nebuchadnezzar might be a nut but God is in charge of the universe and the only explanation for Nebuchadnezzar to be there is God let him be there. God permits things to happen. God permits people to be in place. But God is still in charge. God is still sovereign. And he declares and celebrates God's sovereignty. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you celebrated the sovereignty of Almighty God? That no matter what is happening in our world or in your life, God is king over all creation. This week, the UK has been celebrating Queen Elizabeth and her platinum jubilee, 70 years as their monarch. And their celebration consists of a lot of royal carriages and clapping outside and standing on balconies and waving for hours and great celebration of their monarch. When was the last time you and I celebrated 
that God is the king of all creation. Every king on planet earth is a reflection of the fact there is one true king over all creation. And you and I know him. And you and I serve him. How do you stay calm in the face of crisis? You remember that God is sovereign. He is in control. And he knows what's happening in your life and in the world. Secondly, to stay calm in the midst of a crisis, in the face of a crisis, seek God's wisdom. That's the whole point of Daniel and his friends praying is they're seeking God's wisdom. That's the, uh, the request of King Nebuchadnezzar is wisdom and understanding. Well, what do we mean by wisdom? Wisdom, in this case, is insight into what we do not know. Uh, now, wisdom in the big picture it can be defined as the right application of knowledge. The right application of knowledge. And in this story and in the, in the book of Daniel, wisdom is God giving insight in how to apply the knowledge that he gives his people. And Daniel praises God for being merciful. Do you notice that? For his mercy. And that's what they pray for. They pray for God to be merciful to give them wisdom. Whether or not they celebrate God's sovereignty has nothing to do with whether or not he gives them wisdom. They still celebrate he's king. They still celebrate his sovereignty. But they ask him to be merciful and to give them wisdom. To be able to answer what King Nebuchadnezzar wants. And not only to save their lives, but to save the lives of everyone. But more importantly, to bring to Nebuchadnezzar the word of God. God and God himself is the only one who can know the mind of Nebuchadnezzar and the dream that he had. Even the pagan advisors know that. And they don't know the one true God, but they know that only divinity, only deity can know the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel says exactly the same thing and then, he find, and then he underscores it. But there is but one God. One God. And this one God gave us wisdom and insight into your dream and its interpretation. You know, the Bible promises you wisdom. Why does the Bible do that? Because God knows that in times of crisis and struggle, you and I frequently pause and say, I don't know what to do. Are you doing that now? Have you done that recently? Have you find yourself sitting down and saying to God or saying to your spouse or your friend or your family or to yourself, I don't know what to do. I'm facing a crisis and I don't know what to do. God promises if you will ask him in faith, he will provide his insight and his wisdom to your situation. In the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 1 opens with an acknowledgement that people, the Christians in the first century were suffering persecution. And James says to them, there are various kinds of suffering that you will go through. All of these will mature you in your faith. And then in verse 5, right away, he says, so if you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives his wisdom generously and ungrudgingly. Uh, believer in Christ, when you're going through a hard time, when you're suffering and you're struggling and you're enduring and you're asking, what do I do? When you're asking, why is this happening? Go to God and ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for insight into your situation. Because if the Bible says through James, God is ready to give out His wisdom. Not only give it out, but give it out generously. God is giving away to believers who ask His understanding, His insight of your crisis and your situation. Seek God's wisdom. 
and you will find calm and peace. You know, the book of Philippians, Paul says that. You'll find that peace that surpasses all understanding. When you come to God, you pray to him, he provides that insight and wisdom. He meets you where you are and walks with you through this crisis. And when we look upon our world, definitely, we need God's wisdom. We need God's help. And if you ask, what do I do? I can tell you easily the number one thing to do is pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our world. Pray for our community. Pray for the people around us. Pray for your siblings in Christ. Pray that God will give us grace and be at work. And that God's purposes and plans will always come to fruition. Because his plan is best. Uh, That brings us to the third way. You can stay calm in the midst of a crisis. Trust God's plan. Trust God's plan. As Daniel knows, God always has a plan. Things don't happen by accident. He even knows that God brought him to Babylon. That God has a purpose and a plan for him there. He wraps up what he says to the king and his celebration, his declaration of what God has done. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he's let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Well, how can God let Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days? Because what happens in the last days is according to God's plan, not Nebuchadnezzar's. It's according to God's plan. Trust God's plans. To be calm in the face of a crisis, you can know that God has a plan. He's got a plan in place for your life, for our world, for our country, and he's guiding that if we remember he is sovereign. And in the face of this uncertainty, we trust his sovereignty. God is all, we remember God is always in control. Daniel ends up where God, exactly where God wants him to be and doing what God wants him to do. He glorifies God. See, if the advisors had been able to answer the question that Nebuchadnezzar laid out, it would have glorified the advisors. They would have been honored. But Daniel knows, since he knows God, Daniel knows that God's purpose is to point the finger to God's wisdom, to remind Nebuchadnezzar and everyone in Babylon that God is in charge, that God is on the throne of the universe, that God is the one planning the outcome of history And God is the one at work in your history and my history right now. Trust God's plans. Trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's wisdom. Ask him what to do. Let him guide you in his plans and for his outcome. A 15-year-old Jacob Smith uh, is a free skier. It's what he's called, a free skier. Uh, It's unusual that he competes in free skiing because he's, he's 15 years old, for one thing. Uh, and, and free skiing is very dangerous. Uh, free skiing is basically going up to the top of the mountain on any mountain with packed snow and launching. Uh, there's no slalom. There's no ski lift. It's just you climb up the mountain and you launch downhill. It's some of the fastest skiing. It's even called extreme skiing, fast, extreme speeds. In terrain that you really don't know what's under that snow. And in mountains where some of the most dangerous avalanches have happened. The other thing that's unusual about Jacob Smith, not only is that he's 15 years old and he competes in free skiing, he's also legally blind. Uh, You like to know that your your eyesight is 20-20, maybe 20-30. Okay, seasoned people, 20-40, whatever. Jacob's eyesight is 2,800. 
Uh, to give you an idea of what that means, when you go sit at the eye doctor and you see the eye chart there, the little the letters on the eye chart, the big E at the top, for Jacob to see the big E at the top, it would have to be four times its normal size and he would have to be within 20 feet of the big E. Otherwise, he can't see it. He has extreme tunnel vision and no peripheral vision. But he's a competitive free skier at 15 years old. So how does he do it? When there's a competition, his brother climbs the mountain with him. No ski lift, remember. So his brother climbs the mountain with him, gets him in position. Then Jacob wears a two-way radio in his pocket that's turned up full volume. So his dad, Nathan, can guide him down the mountain. They started this years ago when he expressed an interest in free skiing and they figured out a way for him to have someone talk to him and tell him what was coming up, where the rocks were, more importantly, where the cliffs were so he would avoid falling off the mountain, where the snow was packed the best. Uh, when he was getting too fast and, and he needed to, to pull back or he needed to go faster, all these little uh, directions and, and insights. He needed someone to tell him that. But the thing was, he only trusted his dad. So Nathan said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a, a, a two-way radio, walkie-talkie, inside your front pocket. We'll crank that thing up. And you can trust me. Just listen to my voice and I will guide you down the mountain. Aren't you glad your father has a plan? Aren't you glad your God gives you wisdom? Aren't you glad that he is sovereign and knows all things? You might feel today like you are plummeting full speed with no control down a mountain. The crisis is so great in your life or in our world or both. But listen, your God knows what comes next. Trust his voice Trust his plans. He will guide you and he'll take care of you. Do you believe that? I'm going to pray for us this morning. Believers in Christ, I'm going to pray for you that you'll remember what makes the difference in following Christ. And in times of uncertainty, you'll always trust God's sovereignty, that he knows what he's doing. And if you're wondering what to do, seek out his wisdom. Trust his plans. He knows where you're going and what comes next. I'm going to pray for you believer in Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray with you as well, here or at home. I'm going to pray a simple prayer in just a moment to help you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's your prayer, your heart. I'm just helping you do it. But put your faith in Christ this morning and trust Him as your Savior. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to a pause, God, where we respond to you. Because I know there's some in this room and some at home, Father. When we look out on this world, we worry, Father. This culture is hostile, growing more so by the day. The, the country, the world seems to be in crisis, God, spinning out of control. Father, thank you that you remind us. You are in control. You're sovereign. Your plans are in place. So I pray for us today, Father, that we would give to you our burdens and our concerns, our worries, our heartaches our frustration, our fears, we would give that to you. God, help us to face the crisis with calm assurance in you, with trust in you. God, help us to do that today. Take away those fears and burdens. I pray for us as believers in Christ, God, that we would remember we trust you. That, that's the difference in walking with Christ and living for Christ. 
in this hostile culture, in this time, in this season in our world, God, we walk with Christ and we know we can trust you, Father. Give us that peace that surpasses all understanding, that calm in the face of the crisis. And Father, if there's some in this room or at home that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, God, I pray with them today that in this prayer of faith, they would put their faith and trust in Jesus today, the one God of all creation, the King of the universe. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And you love me so much, you died for me. And Jesus, I believe you're alive today. You've risen from the grave and can give me forgiveness and eternal life. So Jesus, I ask in faith that you would come into my heart, into my life, forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. God, I believe there are some in this room and at home as well that need to start over with you. We know we've trusted Christ as our Savior, but today's the day of restart, rededication, refreshing our walk with Christ, God. So we do that in prayer today as well, recommitting our lives to following Christ. Father, if there are other decisions we need to make, I pray, God, we make those today to honor and glorify Christ. May we always point the finger to Jesus, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.